0: Let Me In by Jennifer Brody. Every night I dream of fire. I taste smoke and ash on my tongue. I know what comes next, the screams. They call it like banshees, like gin. My father screams the loudest, but Paz's voice strikes my heart like a frozen dagger. The heat follows, searing my flesh, my eyelids burning them away, saying, you must look, you cannot close your eyes, you must see this, even if it destroys you. My bubbe says I've always had the seventh sight, that it runs in our blood, thick and certain. She said, running away won't save me. She said, Samira, ghosts follow you. The fire consumes me. I wake up wanting to scream for Paj, but all that comes out is a soft gasp. I blink in the semi-darkness of the hole. It's never fully dark here. It splinters my dreams. I wait for my vision to adjust. There is no smoke, no ash falling from the sky and peppering the ground like fresh snowfall. The hole is crammed with bodies. I crane my neck and peer through the window, hearing the low hum of the gravity drives. I see black velvet space poked through with stars, still in transit, still in the vacuum of interstellar space far from Earth, but not yet at our new home. This is nowhere land. This is the land where ghosts haunt. My sister's body curls into mine like a barnacle. She has her own hammock, but she still sleeps on me. Mama, Papa, and Bubba sleep under us on the hard metal of the hull spooned together like a human tapestry. They let us have the hammocks fashioned from scratchy ropes strung across the hole like laundry lines. Other passengers sleep in hammocks and on the floor crowded into this rickety ship. So many bodies, so many refugees. But Paj is still gone. The reminder every time I wake is like a fresh punch to the gut. That's why I softly gasp. That's why I wake with her name on my tongue. We aren't in that camp anymore. We left it behind on earth. This slows my racing heart, though cold sweat still slicks my skin but all day I remember the fire, I taste the ash. This dream doesn't fade or come unfocused with waking. The screams don't lessen, they grow louder. It is unnatural. My Bubbae must be right. Ghosts can follow you, even to space. I force myself to eat. The rations are bland and powdery, but I know better than to complain. This is the good life. I remember the sharp burn of hunger, the way it never leaves you, how it bloats your belly, makes you look pregnant when really it's empty. Samira, you kept me up all night, Dara says, stuffing porridge into her mouth. You kept squirming and kicking me. I shoot her a glare. I know my little sister's been through a lot, but she's only five. I should be more sensitive, but my annoyance stings me like bees. You have your own hammock, you little parasite. You don't have to crowd mine. I try to sound irritated, but I end up laughing. Dara giggles, too. Parasites can be good sometimes, right, Papa? He looks over. His eyes flash with amusement, dark like mine. His hair curls around his temples, also like mine, only have high cheekbones and darker skin like my mother, a great beauty my father calls her, the Night Queen. Our family eats together in the hull of the ship, crouched down on the floor using Naan to mop up the bland porridge. He stuffs a piece in his mouth and chews while he considers her question. Symbiotic life forms, Papa says, still chewing. Back on Earth, when two unlike organisms depend on each other for survival, they both benefit from their physical attachment. Dara beams, exactly, I'm that kind, she proclaims, I'm symbiotic with Samira. She wraps her arms around me and squeezes, I groan and roll my eyes. Get off me, you symbiotic freak, I say, peeling her arms away from my neck. I haven't finished my rations, and I know that's a crime, given our situation, but I can't eat anymore, I feel suffocated. I need to stretch my legs, get out of this hole for one freaking second, get away from my family and the total lack of privacy. I take my plate and stand up, but Bubba snags my arm, her... Hands look frail, but they dig into my skin like claws. She whispers, Dara needs you like air. The words stab me. I want to say, how can I be her air when I can barely breathe? But instead I say, I know, Babe, I'm trying. The seventh sight chose you for a reason, she says, her withered face brightening for a moment. These things she believes that my father's science can't touch or prove, they are her oxygen. That means I'm her oxygen. Or at least that's how it feels sometimes. I pat her hand, untangling her nails from my skin. I promise I'll do better with Dara, though doubt seeds into my heart like weeds. I turn to walk away. Samira, where are you going? Dara says, hopping up. She brushes her blonde curls away. How can she be so light when I am so dark? The tricks of biology. Papa explained it once, recessive genes and all that. Baba just says that Dara is Malik, an angel, and leaves it at that. Sometimes I prefer her explanations to my father's scientific jargon even if they're not true. Stars, I need some alone time, I say, stepping around other families huddled together, eating their rations. I smell them, and it reminds me of the camp. You know, time without you, clinging to me. Can I come, she says, undeterred. Alone time, parasite, that means without you. But we're symbiotic. Remember what Papa said, I say, trying to get away from her, but she jogs to keep up. We both have to benefit in order to be symbiotic. And right now, I'm not benefiting. I'm suffocating. She bounces around the families huddled together eating, hops, skips, and almost floats across the hole. Maybe she is an angel. Maybe Bubba is right, but still I tell her no. Even Malik's need boundaries. I tell her not to follow me to the engine room, that it will only bore her, that it's dangerous, and even the big workers wear hard hats down there, that I didn't ask for this assignment, but I've grown to like it so much I head down there even when I have time off, when I need to breathe. The engine room is my oxygen. Dara comes anyway. She doesn't like to let me out of her sight since the fire, and here's the truth that I don't like to say out loud, that I would deny if you asked me point blank. I'm secretly happy to have her come with me. Despite my ardent protests, I like how she idolizes me, traipses after me on the ship like a stray puppy that you fed your scraps. Maybe we are symbiotic. Maybe Papa is right. But don't get carried away and think I've gone all soft. My little sister still annoys the stars out of me. Fine, you can hang out, I say, making sure to inject irritation into my voice lest she get any ideas but keep your symbiotic mouth shut, got it? It's not cool to have little kids junking up the convo. She scowls at me. You're still a little kid. You're only 15. Like, give me a break. Almost 16 in two weeks, so it doesn't count. Faster in space-time, I say, feeling older with each passing minute on this ship each light year we travel from Earth. They age faster than us. As if sensing that, her gaze drifts to the window. We've entered the corridor that leads to the engine room, I feel the vibrations of the ship, the propulsion keeping us moving. It takes only a small amount of acceleration to slingshot you through deep space. Dara dances over to the window, flinging her arms about wildly like some untamed creature. I pull them down to her sides to restrain her antics. I'm always subduing her. why do we have to leave Earth? She asks with a vague whine to her voice. I miss Paj. Another icy stab to the gut. Dara doesn't know that the fire claimed her, how I saw Paj burn. How she's nothing more than smoke and ash now, cast across the windswept desert and scattered like scorched sand. No water, silly, I say, smacking my lips. No food. Climate wars. We're the lucky ones. The Yarwax accepted our application for asylum. Otherwise, we'd have died on Earth. She scrunches her nose. They sound weird. Papa says we don't know much about them. Well, we probably sound weird to them, too. I bend down and look her in the eyes. We know they have food and potable water, breathable air superior technology. They're peaceful, no wars, no military. Isn't that enough? She scrunches up her forehead, thinking that over. No fighting? No water shortages? It's such a foreign concept for her, she can't picture it. She doesn't know how we lived before the camp. She was born there on the sandy floor of our tent in a bath of blood and heat. She grew up in the tent city, scrounging for drinking water and food. It's probably why she's shorter than I was at her age. Though I try not to think about it. Deficiencies, starvation does that. You're right, I say, pointing to the window to the vast vacuum of space. We don't know much about the Yarwax, but we're close to their planet now. We've been traveling a decade in Earth years, but we've got warp drive, so it's less time for us. Everyone on Earth is getting older, she says, seeming wiser than her years. They're going to die, even if they didn't burn up in the fire. I try to change the subject by pointing to the dueling suns blazing in the distance, by focusing on the promise of this new future, not the carnage of our past. Soon you'll get to see their planet right outside this window, I say. We're almost there. She frowns skeptically. And then we'll have a new home? One we don't have to leave? Another thing she can't imagine. Yes, we will. It will be our new forever home. I say it with certainty, even though I worry lines creep into my heart. What will it be like to live with the Rx? I've been studying their language, but it doesn't make much sense to me yet. Even our linguists are struggling to learn how to communicate with them. The author for Asylum came right when we needed it the most. They sent the ship to Earth to retrieve us from the camp. They rescued us from the fire. They saved us from burning. They're the only reason we're breathing right now. The Arwax are our only hope.